Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of the history of the Germans. Well, it's not actually the history of the Germans, but the history of Italy, a podcast by the amazing Mike Corradi. The reason you find this in your feed is because I promised you an episode about Matilda of Tuscany. When I did my research and thought about how to structure and organize the story of Matilda, I noticed that it had already been done by Mike. Listening to him, I realized I would not have done it any different. In fact, I would have probably done a much worse job of it. So, I went for the lazy option and asked him whether I could borrow his work. Not only do I get more time to lounge about the house eating crisps, you get the opportunity to hear the story of Matilda from a different perspective. And as you listen, you will notice that Mike's take on events occasionally differs from mine. Now that is most likely down to a straight-out mistake on my part, or maybe down to the discrepancy in the sources all of which are biased. Welcome to the Middle Ages. As for the History of the Germans podcast, normal schedule continues and a regular episode should drop on Thursday. And in the meantime, enjoy Mike's take on one of the greatest female figures in medieval European history. Hello everyone, and welcome to A History of Italy. Matilda of Tuscany, the Iron Countess of Canossa. Let's imagine that you wish to visit Italy, northern Italy precisely. Let's also imagine that you're courageous or crazy enough to want to rent a car and brave the jungle that is the Italian motorway. You're driving from Milan southeast towards Bologna because, let's face it, you want to get away from Milan as quickly as you can. As you make your way down, sticking to the right-hand lane in terror, at a certain point, after going past Parma, you see a sign for a motorway exit, Terre di Canossa, the lands of Canossa. You go past the exit, and then you see a very impressive Santiago Calatrava bridge over the motorway and take that exit to the city of Reggio Emilia. A town of Roman origin, named after the consul Marcus Emilius Lepidus. In this town you can find a school with the name of Matilda of Canossa. With the same name you can also find a golf club, a hotel, a restaurant, roads, a square, mountain trails and, if you look further away, even a French racehorse. What was so special about this lady, Matilda of Canossa, to warrant her name being used for so many things over 900 years after her death? Well, if it had not been for the fact that, at the time when she lived, there was an emperor who officially ruled over northern Italy, perhaps she would have been called a queen. As it was, she was the Margravine of Tuscany and Countess of Canossa, ruling lands that stretched from the confines of Rome up almost to the confines of Italy. We don't need to start off by going all the way back to her 11th century to meet her. Indeed, in the year 1644, her body was examined 
and found to be more or less intact, with flesh still on it, straight, large, regular, very white teeth, and red hair. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Matilda was a redhead. But before we go to stand beside the little red-haired girl, let's go and have a look and see where her family came from. The founder of the Canossa dynasty is considered to be a certain Siegfried, a man of Lombard origin, who made his way to the mountains of the Emilia area from the Tuscan city of Lucca. It is around Canossa that the family started to build their own power base. Their big break came at the time of Emperor Otto the Great. The head of the Canossa family at that time was Adalberto Atto, a vassal of the Bishop of Reggio Emilia, Adelardo. It was Adalberto Atto who gave sanctuary to Adelaide, future wife of Emperor Otto, as she fled from Berengarius, king of Italy, who wished to force her into marrying him. The help given by the Canossa to the imperial family was not forgotten, and thanks to that connection and some shrewd marriage alliances, as well as a healthy dose of good old violent land-taking, Adalberto and his descendants built up lands and wealth, and it didn't hurt that they always had a bishop in the family. The parents of Matilda, who was born in 1046, were Bonifacio Atto of Canossa and Beatrice of Lorraine. With this, his second marriage, Bonifacio had greatly increased his holdings, adding Parma, Reggio and Modena, and when Bonifacio was granted the March of Tuscany by the Emperor Conrad II, it made him perhaps the most powerful noble after the Emperor himself. The relationship between the Canossa and the Empire that had been the foundation of their great fortune started to sour with Emperor Henry III, and indeed the latter was one of the suspects when Bonifacio was killed, possibly by a poison arrow, in the year 1052. That takes us back to the little red-haired girl. She is six years old. She is six years old, and the news of her father's death had just arrived. We don't really know how Matilda felt about losing her father. He was a strong, vigorous, ruthless and ambitious man, and we don't know how much she actually saw of him. Her contemporary biographer, Donizone, seems to have omitted the nature of his death to avoid the painful memory. In any case, Beatrice was alone with three children, Matilda, the youngest, Federico, the oldest and the heir of Bonifacio, and Beatrice Jr. Both died in the same year, 1055. This was not unheard of in those times, but, strange enough for rumours to circulate and the blame to point once again to the emperor, it seems that Matilda was accumulating reasons to bear a grudge towards the empire. Beatrice had looked around for a friend or an ally, and since she wasn't sure she could trust Henry III any longer, she looked to the other great power at the time, the papacy. The Pope at the time was also her uncle, Leo IX, 
which was handy. However, he was not long for this world. When Victor II took his place, she felt she needed a more stable guarantee. In truth, she would have liked to give everything up, to take her daughter Matilda into a convent and live the rest of their lives in peace, away from the troubles of the world. But duty called. It was at this point, in 1054, that she married Godfrey of Lorraine, known as the Bearded. One supposes because he must have had quite a magnificent beard. I mean, I'd imagine he's not the only one that had a beard around in those times, so if he's called the Bearded, there must have been something very special about his beard in particular. Godfrey, like Beatrice, was a vassal of Emperor Henry III, who had also rebelled against his overlord, and Beatrice was suspect at best. Both the bride and the groom bought children from previous marriages to the deal, and to consolidate their union for the future, they decided to betroth the two youngsters. Thus, at the age of eight, Matilda was now promised to Godfrey the Hunchback, son of Godfrey the Bearded. Godfrey stepped into the role of the man of the family quite readily and started to consolidate and expand his new lands. One thing that Godfrey can be credited with is setting in motion the fame of the city of Florence, where he moved his centre of activity. This city became very dear to Beatrice and her daughter. The mother ended up being buried there after her death. Godfrey's activities worried the Pope, who appealed to the Emperor, who made his way down, sending Godfrey scampering back to Lorraine and leaving Beatrice and Matilda to be made prisoners. Now, they weren't chucked into a mouldy dungeon somewhere. After all, they were noble prisoners and Beatrice was a first cousin to the Emperor. It is here, therefore, that Matilda continued to be educated at court, learning languages including German. This captivity, however, did not last long. In the year 1056, Henry III died. Feeling that his time was near, he released the two women and got them and Godfrey to swear allegiance to his six-year-old son, also called Henry. This is where we get to know one of the main characters in the story of Matilda, future Holy Roman Emperor Henry IV. The marriage between Beatrice and Godfrey lasted until 1069, when the latter died. Just before his death, he had called his wife and stepdaughter to him in Lorraine, hoping to seal the marriage deal between Matilda and his son Godfrey. So Matilda stayed, and her mother, once again widowed, returned to Italy. Matilda was alone, far from home, surrounded by strangers with a husband that she most likely found repulsive. Once again, she did her duty. That is a word that could very easily be used to characterise the life of Matilda of Canossa, duty. She became pregnant with a daughter, to whom she gave birth in 1070, but the baby soon died. At this point, she could bear it no longer. Alone, Having lost a child, she made her way back to Italy and her mother. The year was 1071 by now, 
And just two years later, we can introduce the third of the great characters in our story, after Matilda and Henry IV, and that is Ildebrando of Suana, a monk who became Pope with the name of Gregory VII. He embarked upon a radical church reform campaign which would have inevitably brought him on a collision course with the emperor. This was because one of the bees in Gregory's bonnet was the fact that the emperor was happily galumping around, investing bishops, nominating them and giving them loads of lands and privileges. Gregory claimed that only the Pope would have that right. Before we go back to what would be known as the investiture controversy, Matilda's hubby, Godfrey the Hunchback, still has a part to play. He was pining for wifey and wanted her back. He sent a load of love letters, and he had Pope Gregory intervene with the Countess to fulfil her duties as a wife. This was one responsibility which she resisted. She was a staunch defender of the Church, but this was one point she was not going to back down on. And from what contemporaries say about her, it seemed that the Countess was not one to easily change her mind. She even resisted her husband's lovely present of a relic that had been bought down to her and had belonged to her father. Listeners will know that a relic is generally the remains of some saint. So basically, he was trying to win back the love of his wife by giving her bits of cadaver. It didn't work, and Godfrey decided to give up. He no longer had the help of the Pope, who had gone quite cold on him, writing to Matilda that, With regard to the advice that you ask, on what to answer Godfrey, we do not know, since he has openly broken the oath that he made to you, and we cannot believe any of his promises. But we now must move on from this romantic interlude back to the action. We mentioned that Pope Gregory set off on a reform that brought him into contrast with the Emperor, and in the famous year of 1075, we see the deposition of the Pope by the Emperor and the excommunication of the latter by the former. In all of this, Matilda supported the papacy. This came at a great cost to her, since the close proximity to the Pope of an unmarried woman gave their enemies all kinds of ammunition to discredit them. The year 1076 was a game-changer for Matilda. Her marriage ended quite dramatically and suddenly when Godfrey of Lorraine, known as the Hunchback, was killed as he sat down on the toilet by having a dagger or sword shoved up his, well, the place one uses when one goes to the toilet. Even worse for Matilda was the death of her beloved mother, her only remaining family, in April at the age of 57. Matilda's desire to leave the burdens of the material world behind and seek the peaceful life of the convent was even stronger in these moments of desperation. But once again, Gregory convinced her to stick to her guns. Duty won out again. The winter between 1076 and 1077 was one of the coldest in living memory. The great Po River froze over, and wild animals 
came out of the vast forests that covered the Po Valley and entered villages looking for food. We can imagine Matilda brooding in front of a fire in her cold and drafty castles. Even for nobles, keeping warm wasn't easy, with only open fireplaces to warm the cold stone floors and walls. It was during this cold winter that the humiliation of Canossa occurred. Henry IV, due to his excommunication, had lost the support of many of his nobles and had been forced to accept to attend a council in Augsburg. However, as the Pope was making his way up, Henry headed him off, and when the Pope retired to Matilda's fortress of Canossa, Henry went to him in penitent's robes, barefoot, freezing in the snow for three days and nights. In the end, the Pope, the leader of the Christian church at the time, was forced to take back into the church a penitent Christian. Although he had indeed suffered a humiliation, and I suspect a bit of frostbite, Henry had performed a diplomatic and propaganda masterstroke. His excommunication had been lifted, and he had not had to attend the Council of Augsburg. In Canossa in those days, as well as Matilda, Gregory, Hugo of Cluny, and the mother-in-law of Henry IV, Adelaide, there was also a man by the name of Anselm, Bishop of Lucca, who was at the time in exile from the city, since the citizens, who were pro-empire, had rebelled against him, and his attempt to implement the reform there. Anselm became a confidant and counsellor to Matilda, a sort of substitute father figure for when Gregory was far away. The two grew very close, and for a time the countess did not make a single decision without consulting her bishop. Meanwhile, would-be Emperor Henry, he had not had his imperial crown at this time, continued to do as he pleased, investing bishops imprisoning bishops that disagreed with him, and so on. The nobles in Germany were wary of their king, and so elected a rival king of Germany, Rudolf of Swabia. In the end, Henry was able to deal with this anti-king, and was ready to turn his attention to Pope Gregory and his ally Matilda. It was not actually he, but an army of northern Italian bishop counts, who struck the first blow on October 15th when their army defeated that of the Countess at the Battle of Volta Mantovana and sent them fleeing for the hills. We cannot say that Matilda was ever in the thick of a battle waving a sword, but she was a hands-on military commander. Rangerio, biographer of Anselm of Lucca, writes, Matilda herself organizes her troops and she puts herself at their head. She is not swayed by sleepless nights or by the cold. They do not induce her to leave her men. Aside from military situations, she would have spent most of her time in the saddle in all sorts of weather and at any time of year. She was now the administrator of one of the largest areas in the country, that meant that she would have to move around it, for listeners will remember that nobles at that time, as well as running their domain, would also have administered justice and kept the peace. 
This would have meant everything from settling disputes among vassals and in cities to taking care of the pirates that ran rampant along the Po River. However, at this point, Matilda of Canossa, now 35 years of age, after reigning over much of northern Italy, was reduced to a few castles in the Regimilia Apennines. She was in no position to hope Pope Gregory, who, by this time, was under siege from the Emperor in Rome. The best she could do was to collect the precious objects she had in some of her churches and monasteries, such as the monastery of Nonantola and the church of Regimilia. She was able to gather together enough to melt down and obtain seventy pounds of silver and nine of gold to send to Rome to help the Pope resist the siege of the imperial troops. It was all to no avail. In 1081, some of the cities of Tuscany rebelled against her, and Henry took advantage of the situation to declare in Lucca in that same year that she was guilty of lesa maesta, of treason, and that all her lands were forfeit. Matilda took no notice of this. In 1083, Henry was able to enter Rome and take control of part of the city. He could now finally have a coronation, which he did in San Giovanni Laterano on the 31st of March, 1084, at the hands of his antipope, whom he had whipped up, Clement III. He didn't bother hanging around too long, because the real pope had called the Normans to his aid, and they were coming. As Henry made his way back up north, he thought he would have another go at Matilda, and he laid siege to the castle of Sorbara, in the present-day province of Modena, which was part of her holdings. Legend would have it that the imperial troops, as they settled in for the siege of the castle, found some barrels of high-quality Lambrusco wine, good local stuff, which Matilda had accidentally let drop. With the Imperials well into their wine and sleeping off the hangover, Matilda, along with soldiers from one of her allied cities, Bologna, attacked in the night. Matilda from the south and the Bolognesi from the east. Thanks to the element of surprise and the wine, they gained a great victory. We know very well that the investiture controversy continued for quite some time after that, but... The Battle of Sorbara, although it was a minor one, allowed a pause in the actual fighting that would last until the following decade. The great news of the Battle of Sorbara, which had occurred on the 2nd of July 1084, was not enough to lift the Pope out of the state in which he now found himself. He was in exile in Salerno with the Normans, after they had sacked Rome and the Romans had blamed the Pope for inviting them in. Pope Gregory VII died in exile on the 25th of March, 1085. Matilda had lost another ally, another mentor, another friend. She saw consolation in her counsellor and friend Anselm. Unfortunately, he too died in March of the following year, and once again 
Matilda was alone in the world, and once again duty called. A new pope had been elected, and he needed help getting into Rome, because Emperor Henry's anti-pope, Clement III, was in his place. The new pope, Victor III, also needed help getting into Rome, because he didn't want to get into Rome. He wanted to stay in his comfortable monastery at Monte Cassino, and, let's face it, who could blame him? Once again, Matilda donned her spurs, got on her horse, and took some troops down to Rome. In Rome, a real battle ensued, and the forces of Matilda were able to free St. Peter's. However, they were not able to free the whole city. For a year, Rome was divided, with continuous skirmishes in the streets, and in the confusion, Desiderius of Monte Cassino, Pope Victor III, who, as we said, hadn't really hadn't wanted the job, while everyone was looking the other way, snuck back to Monte Cassino. Matilda went back and dragged him back to Rome, where in the fighting St. Peter's was lost and won four times. Once more, Desiderius snuck off back to Monte Cassino, and this time he found a way for Matilda to leave him there in peace. On the 16th of September, 1087, he died, and nothing makes it difficult for you to be dragged back to Rome to be a pope like dying. After Victor III came another biggie, Urban II, but we'll stick with Matilda for the moment. Although things were more or less quiet on the Henry front, she knew that it was only a matter of time before things got started up again. She was in her early forties now, and so she thought it might be time for an anti-imperial marriage alliance. The fact that the future hubby needed to be in the anti-imperial camp restricted the choice a bit, but surely among the enemies of the emperor there was a handsome, rugged, experienced warrior that could also aid Matilda in her management of her lands and at least give her a bit of support, if not some peace. Maybe he could even be a bit ripped and sexy. Well, apparently there was no such man available. The choice instead fell on the 17-year-old Welf II of Bavaria. Those of you who are hoping that Matilda had at least found an energetic, good-looking toy boy, will be disappointed to know that Welf, in Italian, was known as Guelfo il Pingue, a word of Latin origin meaning fat, and one of the possible origins of the word penguin. Unfortunately, it was only a marriage of political convenience. And eventually, in 1095... Matilda and her fat penguin would go their separate ways. Meanwhile, they were ready to face Henry together, and he, once he had dealt with the Saxons again, was ready to deal with them. His first move was to make his way down to an allied city, Verona, where he arrived on the 10th of April, 1090. From there, he laid siege to the nearby Mantua, where Matilda and Welf had gone to wait for him. Now the free citizens of Mantua had been chafing under the rule of the Canossa for some time, 
and Matilda and Wealth knew that they needed to gain the favour of those citizens if they wanted to hold out against the siege. They made a series of concessions to the authority of the city, but it was too little, too late. Thanks in part to the sabotaging activities of the Mantuans, the city fell in 1091. This was a great blow for Matilda. It had been the capital of her father Bonifacio at the height of his power, and now she had lost it. The loss of the city of Mantua showed one of the Countess's flaws, namely her inability to understand the new nature of Italian politics, the decline of the feudal system and the rise of the city-states. Henry entered the city and later it was he who rewarded the citizens with greater autonomy. Matilda and her tubby-hubby penguin retreated to the Apennine fortresses of the Canossa. Henry spent the winter in the Po Valley. At a certain point, news reports reached Matilda that Henry had ventured across the Po River with a small number of soldiers and was therefore vulnerable. She set out. She set out immediately with her troops, but she was betrayed by one of her captains, Ugo del Manso, and she found a considerably larger force than expected waiting for her. She was defeated once again and retreated to the hills. After the winter, Henry took the offensive again and took hold of the areas around Bologna and Modena and he laid siege to the important castle of Monteveglio. This was Matilda's darkest hour. A meeting was held in her castle of Carpineti to consider offering peace terms to Henry when a monk, a hermit monk from the small Apennine village of Marola, spoke up. I wasn't able to find what he actually said, but evidently it was convincing enough to persuade everyone to continue with the fight. The choice almost immediately seemed to be the correct one when Henry gave up on the siege of Monteveglio. He then made his way to the city of Reggio Emilia and let slip he was proceeding on towards Parma. This was an early example of fake news and he was really heading straight for Matilda's stronghold in the Apennines. She was not fooled and he found her ready. Generally speaking, People who are fighting in familiar terrain against an invader who is unfamiliar with the terrain have a great advantage. If you add the hilly landscape covered in forests and an impressive series of fortresses, it meant that the emperor was in for a rough time. The continued hit-and-run attacks of Matilda's force ground down Henry's troops. In the end, he was able to pin her down and make her commit to a pitched battle in an uninhabited valley that came to be known as Madonna della Battaglia, the Madonna of the Battle. Now, the area the action was taking place in is known for various things. Good food. Terrible if you have cholesterol problems but great in taste. Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese. Lambrusco wine. And... Fog. Lots and lots and lots of fog. 
The patron saint of the city of Regimilia, Saint Prosper, is famous for having saved the city from barbarian invasion by praying and having thick fog come down so that the barbarians completely missed the city. Well, Saint Prosper must have been looking out for his own in October of 1092, for when an abbot, Giovanni, brought a group of monks and priests together for a good hard prey, fog did indeed fall on the battlefield, allowing a great victory for the troops of Matilda. After the battle, the countess had a statue erected, and later a church was built there, which, after being rebuilt in 1724, stands there to this day. This was a great moment for Our Lady, and although Henry remained in Italy for another five years, he no longer seemed able to seriously threaten her. Indeed, the tide was really turning. The cities of Milan, Cremona, Lodi and Piacenza all declared for Matilda, meaning that Henry was now almost completely surrounded. The countess moved in for the kill, targeting not the emperor himself, but his beloved son, Conrad, whom he had thought for a long time of making king of Italy. Matilda managed to get in touch with Conrad and convince him that only she and her allies could really offer the crown of the Kingdom of Italy. Any title that his father could offer him over the northern part of the peninsula would have been an empty one, because he did not have full control there. The young man who lived under the shadow of his father could not resist the temptation of wielding real power. So it was that in the year 1093, Conrad, son of Henry IV, Holy Roman Emperor, was crowned King of Italy by Pope Urban II in Monza with the Iron Crown of the Lombards. After being one of the agents of his humiliation at Canossa, after being a thorn in his side for so many years, the Countess Matilda had now taken Henry's son. It was a devastating blow for the Emperor. Meanwhile, young Conrad quickly got the very nasty feeling that he had been duped. All of the wealth and power he had been tempted with were not quite as expected. Indeed, he had no power, no wealth at all, and he was wandering around as a guest, but had no army, nor titles, nor lands. Despite later also being crowned Holy Roman Emperor and being found a wife, he continued to be no more than a noble, yet poor guest. He died in the year 1101, forgotten and unimportant, no doubt resenting his father and the Countess Matilda, who had fooled him along with her ally, Pope Urban II. It is in this period that Matilda once again tried to bring a man into the picture. This time she had given up on the toy boy idea, so she went for the idea of an adoptive son. The man chosen was a certain Guido Guerra, from the Florentine family of the same name. It seemed that they had got the name, which means war, by being really good at just that, fighting. He appeared in some official documents with which Matilda made donations. For example, he appears in a document in which he donated lands to the monastery of San Michele, in which he is identified as 
adoptivus filius, adoptive son. In the end, this adoption didn't work out either. It seems that the Countess was destined to spend the rest of her days alone. In any case, with Henry IV leaving Italy in 1097, she was free to take back her considerable lands and consolidate them. It wasn't all easy. In Parma, for example, the citizens rebelled against the new bishop that had been placed there, Bernardo, during the celebrations of the Immaculate Conception. The citizens rebelled and took the bishop captive. It took a military intervention by Matilda to free him. She did not seek revenge on the city. After all, she wanted it back for keeps. She also made a series of concessions to other cities, and she received calls for assistance from cities that had not been under her influence, such as the League formed by Milan, Lodi and Cremona. It was getting harder and harder for the ageing Countess to continue. As time passed, she made more and more donations to the churches and monasteries. The start of the 12th century saw a lull in the struggle against the empire, at least in terms of actual fighting. We know that another son of Henry, also called Henry, rebelled against his father and ended up becoming king of Germany as Henry V. But no German army came to Italy until 1110. In that time, the countess continued as usual, administering justice, making donations, keeping the peace with brigands and pirates, and dealing with the ever-increasing drive for independence of the Italian cities. The investiture controversy came knocking again in 1110, as Henry V now came down with an army. Matilda once again took to her hilltop fortifications and prepared again for the worst. However, this time around, Henry sent a delegation to her, and they were able to smooth things out, let bygones be bygones and so on. Matilda was once again reintegrated into her holdings and considered a loyal vassal of the empire. She had had enough of the fighting against huge odds, and she really saw the peace between empire and papacy as the way forward in Europe. Henry V's visit to the area to this day is commemorated in the Corteo Matildico. They have a long period costume procession with people dressed up as peasants, knights, lords and ladies. Then they have reenactments of jousting games and flag juggling. After that, they have two sometimes relatively famous actors, or at least in Italy, playing Henry and Matilda doing a little bit. The only issue is that they usually use a young woman as Matilda, although at the time she was around 64 years old, but never mind. Reaching 64 in the early 12th century was quite a feat. Even more so when you have spent your entire life running a large country on your own and fighting against one of the great powers of the time. Matilda's end was drawing near. In the summer of 1114, the gout from which she had suffered became more and more painful. She made her way to the peace and quiet of the small village 
of Bondanazzo, between the cities of Reggimiglia and Mantua. She had a small chapel built to where she could hear the mass to bring her comfort. The news of her death made its way around more than once, but she held on for another seven months. Finally, in July of 1115, the Bishop of Reggimiglia had her kiss the crucifix, and she lay back and died. With the death of Matilda, we say goodbye to the last of the three great protagonists of the start of the investiture controversy, after Gregory the Seventh in 1085 and Henry the Fourth in 1106. Like Gregory and Henry, she died with no family members around her. However, unlike the other two, she did not die in exile with a sense of failure, but in her own lands, over which she had firm control, and in the place of her choice. What's more, she died with the certainty that she had always done her duty to the very end. She had ruled for over forty years, almost completely alone, daring to be a woman of power without a man at a time when women were supposed to be content with being wives and mothers. History is not made of clear cuts and distinctions, and, and a lot of what characterized Italian history after Matilda was already developing during her time in power. Yet, we can say that with the death of Matilda, Magravine of Tuscany, and Countess of Canossa, we see an end of the feudal age in Italy, and the start of a period that makes Italy so unique in European history, the rise of the city-states, the communes. So, it's time for us to say goodbye to Matilda, to the little red-haired girl who stood with her mother after the death of her father Bonifacio, to the wise and patient administrator, to the defender of the church, to the fierce warrior countess. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. Remember, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com If you would also like to become a Patreon donor, you can go over to patreon.com slash ahistoryofitaly and have access to extra content. On our website, www.ahistoryofitaly.com, you can find timelines, reading suggestions, and other content that can help you navigate our country's complicated history. Once again, thanks very much to everyone. Until next time, arrivederci.